the cross was where Jesus ended up after a long week, a long night. We, uh, our weeks kind of fly by when we think about Holy Week. You know, we have the Palm Sunday and then we go back to work the next day and kind of work and then it's Friday and, and then, you know, Saturday we don't really think twice and then it's Easter Sunday and it's like, yay. But for Jesus, this was, this was it in that sense. This was the end of a long time of ministry, intense ministry, a hard week, a night of not sleeping and laboring over knowing what was going to happen to him and the weight of, of the significance of what was going to happen to him. And getting paraded around the city and beaten and mocked, betrayed by those closest to him, denied by those closest to him, judged by people that he created. And it's hard to imagine for us the intensity of the moment of the cross. I know for me it is. It's something we, we talk about and we learn about so much that it kind of loses the significance of the moment sometimes. The, the difficulty and the pain. Uh, we wear it as jewelry. And yet, that moment where Jesus was hanging on the cross, the power in that and the story and just even reading the story today and trying to think, God, what was it really like for you? What was that moment on the cross like for you? By moment, I mean six hours. What was that like? And as the day was going by today, I was looking at the clock and thinking, you know, if this was then, this is kind of what would be happening. And Jesus is on the cross for six hours. We're going to look a little bit at the story. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open up to the book of Mark chapter 15. And we're going to look at the cross today. And we're going to look at what was going through Jesus' head and what His last words were on the cross and how that affects us today. And we're going to close our time together reflecting on that. Mark chapter 15, verse 25. Let's start at verse verse 20. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them, to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. It was nine in the morning. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by mocked him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. That really caught me. Those who were crucified 
with him also reviled him. I'm going to stop there for a second. Don't, don't, move, don't change your spot in the Bible. They're hanging on a cross, dying for the sins that they did commit. And while they're there, they're mocking Jesus. I'm like, man, that is just like the depth of it, isn't it? You're hanging there dying for something that you did do, doing, dying for the, what you did deserve to do. This was the punishment for your sin. You're hanging on the cross, and you're looking over at Jesus and going, save yourself! And while you're at it, save me too. And Luke tells us that one of them repented and one of them kind of came around and says to the other one, don't, don't do that. Don't you see that he didn't sin? But maybe that was around hour five or hour six after they'd been there for a while. It doesn't say. Alright, verse 33. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So Jesus had been on this cross for three hours and darkness comes. It's noon. And everything goes dark. And for three more hours until the ninth hour, there was darkness. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, as we were singing a second ago. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who, had, who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. Now there's so much that happened at that moment. After six hours of being on the cross, it's dark. In the middle of the day, it's dark. That's a pretty big deal. But the, the Bible says that in, in another place where, where it tells us this story, it says that it shook and the rocks were split. And not only the, the, the curtain and the temple being torn in half, and even people were raised from the dead at the moment that Jesus died. That's a pretty big deal. It's a very significant moment. I wish we could talk about that a little bit more. But we're not going to. What I want us to look at is what Jesus said, alright? He's, he's been on this cross, he's had an exhausting life, exhausting week, exhausting day, he hasn't slept, he's been torn apart with, with beatings, and he's hung on the cross, he's lost most of his blood. What does he say? Well, one of the gospel writers tells us that he says, God forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And right before Mark records that he breathes his last, and we're told that his last words were, it is finished, and then he died. Right before he does that, he says, he quotes out of the book of Psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what's going on here is so much more than the physical pain and suffering that he is going through. Jesus is in his body, and Paul tells us more about that, and we're going to look at that in a minute. But in his body, he is taking on the sin of the world. And the one who had never sinned now has is, is becoming sin for us. And having never known a, a breaking relationship with God the Father, Holy Spirit, with the living in this continual unity and continual fellowship, relationship, 
that's being, that feeling of that being broken because there's sin barriers coming in the way. He's going, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this, this cry, and even I believe that when he was in the garden, it wasn't just looking forward to the fact that he was going to suffer physically. That was causing so much anguish for him, but it was looking forward to the fact that he was going to suffer so much spiritually. That he who knew no sin would become sin for us. And in his last words on the cross, he, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I believe that that wasn't something that he just, going like, well, what's the first thing that comes to mind to express how I'm feeling right now? But he intentionally chooses a phrase that the people would recognize. And he quotes a passage, and I want us to read that real quick, because as I was reading that passage, I was just like, overcome with what might have come to mind for the people that heard Jesus quote that first verse out of Psalm 22. That maybe Jesus' intention was to bring that passage to mind for people. And for us, when we look at it, it's crazy what was written hundreds of years before. And Jesus references right before he dies, saying, hey, everybody, you're crucifying me. You're killing me. This is what you're doing. This is what you're fulfilling right now. Psalm chapter 22, if you would turn there with me. Now this, imagine, written hundreds of years before and fulfilled in Jesus. He says, the psalmist writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am like a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Check this out. Think of Jesus on the cross, alright? This is what he referenced. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Does that not sound like something we just read? Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help me. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Now figuratively of the people surrounding Jesus at the cross there of how they were treating Him and acting towards Him. And He says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax and it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue sticks to my jaws. One of the last things that Jesus said on the cross was, I thirst. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Crucifixion wasn't even invented when that was written. I can count all my bones because of the flogging he had received. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord... Do not be far off. O oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. 
Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Verse 24. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. And the important thing here is was he, he starts out with, why have you forsaken me? And here he's ending it with, but he has heard when I cried to him. Verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Very interesting that in his last words he chooses to reference something pointing to all the pointing out to all the people doing this to him. You are fulfilling what was prophesied to the letter. He could have said a lot of things as his last words on the cross. And he says, when, when all of this is done and he's about to die, he says, it is finished. And right before that, he reminds them or points out to them, this is what just happened. This is what you just did to me. Let me point out another verse. Um, Isaiah 53, we, we referenced it a, a little bit ago that tells us the significance of the cross. It's this. Speaking of the servant we know as Jesus, written hundreds of years before Jesus again, says that he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low, with low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. That's what was going on there. Jesus is on the cross. He's dying for the people mocking him. He's taking their pain. He's taking their suffering. And they're considering him as cursed by God. He deserves that. He had that coming. God obviously doesn't favor him because God's not rescuing him from the cross. Verse 4, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Man, how much I wish we could spend like significant amount of time on each of those. Verse 7, He was oppressed and afflicted, Yet he did not open his mouth. That tells the story of what happened that night. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth when they were mocking him. He didn't open his mouth when he was up on the cross exposed for six hours. He was silent when they judged him. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? Who of the people around him said, no, this is wrong, stop? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. Then it goes on to say of how he was 
where he was buried and how I'll just read the last verse there, verse 30. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. That's us. We're a people yet unborn. We're finding out that, that God did this to bring peace for us. And I don't know, maybe you're sitting there going like, man, you just basically stood up here and read some scriptures and I'm not, I'm not feeling that. But for me, I read those things and it's like every, every statement there is jumping out and I'm connecting it to the story where, where it talks about Jesus and I'm going like, this is so powerful to me. That that's what was happening on the cross. It wasn't just a poor person dying because somebody made a mistake or, or the mob won. This was significant. This was told about beforehand. This should change things for us and for everybody. And Paul makes the connection for us to, to what, what happened, to what was prophesied beforehand. Paul makes the connection in 2 Corinthians 5. He tells us, for our sake, God made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. First Peter tells us in First Peter 2, verse 24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. And so He took our sins on the cross. He died for us so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. There's a response required when we recognize the significance of the cross, the brutality of the cross, there's a response required. Where it says, where, where, where Peter says, so that we would die to sin and live for righteousness. Where from a different perspective, Paul says basically the same thing. So that we could become the righteousness of God. So that we could have that purity, that relationship, that right relationship with God. He did that for us. And it requires a response. And I don't know if we will ever fully understand what it meant to be on that cross. Bethany, if you want to come. Um, we sing a song that says, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon the cross. Right? And we sing it and it sounds good and, it, and it, it goes good with the music, but I don't know if we really wrap our minds around it because sometimes we can hear this so many times that we go like, yeah, the cross, Jesus. Two days later, but Sunday's coming, you know? And uh, the significance of that, I will never know what it meant to be fully in that place of taking on the sins of the world. I'll never know. The agony that Jesus went through. And it stirs something inside of me that says, I want to die to sin and live for righteousness. That He who knew no sin became sin for me. That in Him, I can become the righteousness of God. I want to die to sin and live to righteousness. I want to choose the life that He gave for me. We say a lot, and I say this almost every time we do communion, that His body was broken so that I could be made whole. His life was poured out so that I could have life. But just 
wrapping my mind around that and it stirs something inside of me that wants to worship God. It's like, he knew no sin. I don't know if you guys have ever seen people where, where you see a kid, a child who's innocent and there's this moment of pain, there's this moment of, moment of suffering and something dies inside of you that says like, innocence was lost here. Imagine that to the millionth degree. And to know that He went through that for me. So that I could know Him. So that I could be made whole. So that I could have life. That's a huge thing. And I want to encourage you right now. We're going to close with this song. And when you feel God releasing you to go, you're free to go after this song. Bethany's going to keep playing after that. But respond and worship. Your blood was spilled.